Welcome everybody to this episode of the ISI Life podcast. Today we have Tommy Newberry, who is America's success coach, as well as a multiple times New York Times bestselling author of Success is Not an Accident, The 4-8 Principle, and many others. And we really just touch on all different types of topics from being a fantastic father to being a fantastic business person and setting goals in all areas. It's a wide-ranging conversation. I think you guys will really enjoy the, the talk. And as you listen to it, stay sharp. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to the ISI Life podcast. Um, ISI is based on Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And today um, we are here with Tommy Newberry at his new coaching facility. So thank you, Tommy, for being with us today. It's exciting. Good to be with you, Nick. It's, uh, this is a surreal moment for me because about 12 years ago, I had lunch with a mentor and asked him to kind of teach me some ways. And the first thing he told me was, go read this book, Success is Not an Accident. Come back in a month and tell me what you've learned. So to be here 12 years later and having a conversation with you is um, full circle for me. Excellent, excellent. That's <laughs> fun. That's fun to hear. Yeah, really cool. And um, at a Bob Evans where all good mentoring takes place. <laughs> so um, for those of us that aren't as familiar with with you and your background and your coaching program, give us a little walk down memory lane of kind of your upbringing and then how you got your start into the space that you're in now. Well, I grew up obsessed with baseball and baseball probably is what led me into coaching people and specifically entrepreneurs because I learned that the principles of coaching apply universally. And so I grew up loving baseball, passionate about it. And what was weird is I played baseball with a lot of people who were good, but who weren't passionate about it like I was or who didn't study it. But I was good and I liked to study it too. And I loved to practice. And I loved to read books about baseball and try to figure out why things worked, how things worked. And that was kind of unusual. I didn't know how unusual it was until after the fact. Um, I assumed anybody that wanted to be good in baseball would read the books by the greats, um, but they didn't. Yeah. And then maybe in eighth grade, I got interested in sports psychology. And there weren't many US-based books <clears throat> that had been written at that time, so I was reading books that had been written by some of the sports psychologists that worked with the Soviet athletes in the Olympics. And then some of the US athletes started to use sports psychologists. So I got interested in that. I thought it was very selfish. It was like, maybe this could help me <laughs> early with my on. baseball. Yeah. Um, so I would read those things and um, I learned about the power of the mind and the mindset to have an influence over uh, athletic accomplishment and so then as my baseball career ended when I was around 20 2021 I thought I don't, you know maybe I could take these principles and apply them to business and life mm -hmm. in a way that nobody's done it before mm -hmm. so the word in 1991 when I started the 1% Club there were no coaching wasn't a term like it's used today it was coaching coaching was used for athletics and um, now it's used it's a very popular term but i chose 
coaching to describe what I wanted to do to help business people because I was just shy of turning 25 at the time and I didn't have really any resume or track record. I had no business <laughs> doing what I was doing. So I thought, how could I, I guess this is the, the inner salesperson, how could I spin this in a productive way? So my pitch was, uh, you know, you played sports, right, to a prospect. Um, I played sports. Um, I'm, I'm going to coach you. I'm not necessarily better than you, but I can make you better. And my first problem with that was that um, I called on corporate America in Atlanta. Atlanta was a good place, still is a good place for business. And, you know, they have none of it. Okay, let's, where should we begin? Mm -hmm. You're 25. Um, you have no resume. You have no impressive college education. Um, and you have no track record. So why are you here kind of thing? So that was very frustrating. And then one of my uh, friends said, well, you know what, you should, uh, this was actually a, a brother-in-law, he said, you should focus on entrepreneurs, not corporate America. Corporate America is just gonna ask for resumes and credentials and all that kind of stuff. But entrepreneurs think differently. So I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, they'll, they take risks, so they'll be willing to take a risk for you. So then I started calling on small businesses, uh, commercial real estate, financial services, um, small miscellaneous businesses, and I found it was still tough. Hmm. So then I decided to take all risk away because I was trying to study sales at the same time, and I'd done two or three years of sales and presenting and teaching and, and loved it. And I thought, what is it that is keeping them from wanting me to help them? I want to help them. I want to get paid for it. And it was, they weren't convinced that I could help them and they were concerned, it's kind of obvious, you know, at this point, they were concerned that they would lose their money. So I thought, what the heck, I'm single, living in an apartment, I have no expenses. Let's make this thing free. free. Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite free, but I said, let me work with you for 12 weeks. I'll meet with you once a week for an hour. I'll come to your office. Well, and then at the end of the 12 weeks, if I haven't delivered, then you don't owe me anything. But if I have delivered, then you pay me $600. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, yeah. 600 Yeah. Um, it was a lot it back then. Probably cost a rent at that point. It was, a, point. It was Not a, even. a lot back then. And so 10 of my first 12 paid me the $600. And the other two uh, ended up giving me feedback that was more valuable than all the others' money put together. And so... So they just gave me ideas. They were probably being kind of picky. And, and I said, okay, how about this? Now that I have your feedback and your recommendations, I want to make what I do better. So let me have a second chance. Give me another 12 weeks. How about double or nothing? <laughs> so keep, keep it going. 1200 bucks. Sure. And so with both of them, I, I got the, uh, the, the second round. I nailed it. And they paid the 1200 and both those two I kept literally for clients for two decades after that. That's amazing. Um, so that was kind of how I got started in business. But that is, that is amazing. Were there any early uh, mentors or things that kind of sparked your interest? You mentioned some books that you read earlier on. Yeah, a lot of books. I mean, before I had client number one, I had read 400 books. Wow. Um, sometimes when you don't have anybody to call on, you ought to at least read. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like you could be looking on your phone or playing games. So, 
if I wasn't um, calling on a prospect or coaching, um, I would be reading. Yeah. And so I would just read everything I could read. And then, you know, I'd, I'd worked late because I was single. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd, I'd work late, but I'd also read. Yeah. You know, I'd read before I go to bed. Um, so I read all the classic books, um, uh, Think and Grow Rich. I read um, uh, The Magic of Believing, As a Man Thinketh. Um, I devoured Proverbs just, just again and again, over mm-hmm. and over again. Um, uh, one by Charles Swindoll just really moved me. Um, I think it was called uh, Soar with the Eagles. Or something like that, but it was it was about developing a uh, an aversion to mediocrity, hmm. and that really connected with me. And my grandmother had um, really loved Charles Swindoll, and so she'd given me that book, and I've still got it, and um, I've got almost all the books that I've read, and so that really moved me. Um, in high school, it was mainly sports psychology and baseball books, um, but there's just so much out there that's available. Um, Definitely a voracious reader and that comes across even in today's uh, workshop with you. And so fast forwarding to today, um, looking at your organization and and what you have now, how would you describe to our audience what Tommy Newberry and your organization looks like as of of today? Well, we coach entrepreneurs. Um, We coach ambitious entrepreneurs. And that means we coach business owners who want to maximize their economic potential without screwing up their faith, their family, and their health. Uh, And it's so hard to do. And so I've done that for 27 years, and I've coached people for 27 years. But it's so hard because most people kind of hit their stride business-wise when they're kind of in the middle of growing their family. And so the risks are huge because it's hard growing a family and it's hard running a business. It's kind of like a second marriage or a second family. It really is. And you've got to give it a lot of attention and most of the world does not relate to what you do at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm probably not the only business owner that has you know, leveraged credit cards over time mm-hmm. or gone nine, sometimes 14 month stretches where I paid all my people, but not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't, you know, realize that. So um, that's, you know, what we want to do is is help entrepreneurs begin with legacy in mind. And too many people uh, just kind of begin and decide they're going to work as hard as they can work, and and then look up and see what they've created. And I think. You really need to figure out what are you, what do you want your life and lifestyle to be like, and use your business as a tool that drives something bigger than your business. <clears throat> and that's often not how it's done. It's not the other way is bad. It's not even 180 degrees different. It's just different. Mm-hmm. It's it's let's just make it as successful as we can make it, which is not bad, but it'd be more strategic to think, okay, how does this fit? into who I want to become and what I want to achieve. Let's make the business serve me rather than the well-intentioned people who end up serving their business. And I'm using that in Mm -hmm. 
in different ways you would normally think of serve. But, um, you know, the business is a tool to help you live the life. So, for example, if you have a net worth goal, which everybody ought to have, um, and let's say maybe it will take you to, to age 50 to reach it if you go about it one way, and it will take you to age 60 if you go about it the other way. But the age 60 way um, allows you to have the overall lifestyle that you want and reach your economic goals, then that might just be the better way to go. But we don't always have to make that choice. Um, oftentimes people uh, don't organize their day or their life or their personal life in such a way that they can work the least amount of time and generate the best results. So you have to be very strategic and put in a lot of thought, but people, all of us are kind of prone to just doing. Absolutely. So, but if you really think about it and you go, what is it that I really, really want, then design your business to be a vehicle to create the personal life and lifestyle that you want and, and trim, prune those areas of your business that don't contribute to the life and lifestyle that you want if you have the power to do it. Um, but there's often false choices, and in, in particularly in the Christian world, oftentimes you'll hear people go, um, well, you know, no, I haven't um, uh, hit my financial goals, but, you know, I, you know it's, it's more important for me to be a good family man. Mm -hmm. You know, and we call bull on that, yeah. you know, because that's a false choice, um, a self-serving false choice. Now, a lot of people do get obsessed with their business in an unhealthy way, um, but that's not the cause of their, their family problems. Mm -hmm. But it can lead to that uh, if they don't begin with the right result in their mind. Mm -hmm. You touched on something that made me think and kind of goes back to your, your coaching organization and one of the things that really drew me to diving in further beyond just reading some of the books that you've written, which are all great, by the way. But Thank you very, uh, much. very different than being part of the actual coaching program and the one-on-one -on -one calls and everything that goes along with it. But um, being faith-centered and for the ISI life, that's really our design is instead of faith being a segment of your life and a piece of the pie, how do you put it at the middle with the other components around it? And I know on the on, even on the board in your workshop room, it's said you know Christ-centered, goal-directed, legacy-driven. And that, that really stood out to me is to be part of a, an organization and a mindset that how do you put that, your faith and your legacy and, and weave that all into one and kind of organize those thoughts. And I think that's really what a lot of our audience is looking for is how do you, how do you keep all that balance in place um, while not budging um, on your faith and not budging on those key areas. And I'm sure you've seen lots of clients over the years uh, try, to, try to get the most out of life while not giving up in other areas and how do I yeah yeah you have to you have to you do have to make sacrifices but it should be strategic sacrifices um, and I like I don't really I've kind of grown away from the word liking the word balance because it's too soft <laughs> uh, or it's used as a cop-out hmm. to me at the end of my life I'm okay with somebody saying Tommy lived a balanced life but at any given moment, I may not be completely balanced, but I want to be prioritized, and that's different. Prioritized is not balanced. I mean, balanced implies that, I don't know, what are you giving 20% to all five areas of life? Um, I think the model is wrong. I think it's more like you should have Christ in the center 
and then you have the spokes going out and you have the different areas of life so that when I'm coaching and teaching, I'm in my business life. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm also expressing my faith. So it's not, I'm, I'm not just expressing my faith when I'm in a Bible study or going to church or something like that. Um, but I'm also um, in my role as a provider for my family. So, so if you set up your life plan holistically, then everything's working together. It's not compartmentalized like, oh, that's my business life. I talk like that in my business life, or, but I don't when I'm in these areas. It's, you're, you're just, you're, that's real integrity is when, when you're one and true Consistent. You know, all the way through. You're comfortable in your own skin, and um, that's what I think it's important to do. So, but it is tough. So you, it, not every so season, it's seasonal balance is what I'm getting at, in that there's a season for certain activities and there's seasons where you should say no to certain activities. And, um, you know, I've, I've seen ministers, I've seen all sorts of uh, strong Christian individuals uh, give all their time to um, boards and committees and all sorts of things and meanwhile their family is suffering just like any other person's family suffers and they can't see it yeah um, that's why accountability a coach the whole concept of iron sharpens iron is so powerful is is you have trusted believers around you who you have hopefully given permission to call you out you know to look under the hood and to question you and to be uncomfortable you know to make you uncomfortable and you you don't like it at the moment but you like what it does for you just like you don't like maybe I like to work out but I don't always <laughs> like to work out and I certainly don't always like to work out when there's a trainer saying I want you to do one more set or one more rep and I'm like we've done such a great <laughs> workout but but I like it when he goes okay we're all done I like the feeling of it being done, but I even more so like the result, you know, down the road when I'm, I'm leaner and healthier and my blood works better and body fat's better and that kind of thing. Well, I think you touched on a, a really key point and it's a, a big part of the coaching program uh, here too. And I, mean, I found this certainly true to my own life. The more accountability that I have, the faster progress that I make. And you talked about uh, prioritization versus balance. And I would totally agree with that. I'm at a stage in my life with twin three-year-old boys, and that's a, a key focus that I don't want to mess up. I want to get it, get it right. Um, how have you found some, you know, tactful ways from a using iron sharpens iron and accountability to marry those two things together, and using accountability and the ISI mentality of accountability and prioritization to help people live their best life. Well, you know, it's, um, it's tough to hold people accountable who aren't wanting the accountability. They, they take offense to it. Um, so, you know, from a business standpoint, accountability needs to be part of the culture. And then I think, you know, in a, <clears throat> in a group like Iron Sharpens Iron, that's obviously it's implied, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to do that. Um, but the best way to hold somebody accountable is kind of the best way to sell, which is to ask, not tell. Mm. 
if you ask the right questions, the person starts to come up with their own answers, discover, which, yeah. which are the best answers. So my best coaching calls oftentimes are, you know, somebody will hang and say, this was fantastic. This is really helpful. It's really helpful. <laughs> Golly, I, I think I just asked seven or eight questions. Um, but that's because that's what a coach does. Um, a consultant tells you what to do and what not to do and gives you analytics and all that kind of stuff. And they have a, there's a place for that. But a, a coach is different. It's a different animal. A coach is somebody that um, engages you in a way that brings out the best in you, uh, knows how to push you, knows how to challenge you, listens for key phrases and hot buttons, and then uses those to push you a little bit further. And then a coach also knows that every athlete or every client, every individual is different. So the way you push one player, the way you push one client will work with somebody else. So you gotta figure out what works with, with somebody. But ultimately you need permission. That's why it's one of the reasons we named it the 1% Club is there's so few people that want to put themselves out there sure. to where they're so vulnerable and transparent that they're just hanging in the wind, yeah. you know. Well, I, I love the questions, uh, and I hate the questions at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any go-to questions that you found to be really make people think and really help hold them accountable? And are the one question that leads to five minutes of talk from an account. If I want to be a great accountability coach to somebody else. So what's your goal? <laughs> just, yeah. just as simple I, as that. It, yeah, I mean, simple is better. Yeah. Uh, seriously, so somebody's talking to you about the struggles in, in their marriage. Mm -hmm. they, can, they can go on and on. Sure. Stop. Before we go any further, what's your goal here? What's the goal with your relationship? Kind of cut, cut off is, the ramble. Is your goal to stay married? your goal to maybe stay married? Is your goal to be happily married? I mean, so if your goal is to stay married, then there's only two ways you can stay married. You can stay happily married, you can stay unhappily married. I so what's your goal? I love that. It makes so if that's your goal, yeah. what's the wise thing to do right here? Because, so people, and the goal in that sense, not that this is ultimate, but the, the goal is kind of the North Star. So people, are, people make decisions today based on feelings. You know, I, I've, Mm -hmm. I've, what's in your heart? I mean, it's the most, <laughs> it's the stupidest, I, I can't stand it. My wife just, she can, she knows whenever she, you know, we got the TV on or something and somebody is talking about following their heart. She goes, oh, just please don't go into your spiel. Here we go. You know, on it, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, they are, they're so, the, the, the culture is so ignorant. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, the, our greatness is in our heart, but so is our, our our worseness, you know, our evil, yeah. our, the heart is filled with good and bad. But, but what's presented to young people, I mean, unless you're really in a tightly focused Christian home, household, school, church even, unfortunately, mm -hmm. you're, you're going to hear follow your heart. And your, the phrase these days, your truth. Truth is not owned by any of us. There is the truth, not your truth. But so there's all this opinion and and feeling and in your heart. Well, m my 
worst decisions and best decisions in my life, I felt like doing them. Okay, I thought they were in my heart, but only only the good ones were things that God wanted me to do. Yeah. Um, but they are deceptive. So if you if you follow your heart, but you don't have any wisdom, or you don't have any scriptural understanding, or you don't have any, um, if you're not praying and connecting with God on a regular basis, or you don't have other believers who are hanging out with you, then you're you're at a disadvantage. You're handicapped. And so if you don't recognize you're handicapped, that's a real danger. I mean, we should all, even today, we're all kind of, we're, we're working with only a small piece of the puzzle. It's like, it's like a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, let's say a 15-year-old boy, very handicapped, you know, just in their decision making. So a, a wise 15-year-old boy doesn't know everything. He just at least understands that he doesn't know everything. There you go. So an ignorant 15-year-old boy thinks he knows everything. You combine that with an underdeveloped frontal lobe, that's just a prescription for disaster. So, um, so combining that feeling or recognizing it, but really focusing on what's the wise thing to do. Yeah. And surrounding yourselves with someone who loves you and cares you about you enough to help you maybe see a different perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so, so what's your goal? Mm-hmm. And then what I find is... Very few people, it, it's like they are all uh, PR specialists. You know, when you're really trying to call somebody out, they become like a, <laughs> they, a spin. They spin it. They'll change the subject. They will go a different direction. They'll do, look over here, <laughs> that kind of thing. And then if you're not careful, you can forget the original question. But you keep coming back. What, what, so what's your goal? Mm. So what's your goal? Uh, what do you mean exactly? What do you mean exactly? I use that all the time what do you mean exactly you'll probably you'll probably now notice that what do you mean exactly what does that look like just continuing to force them to clarify and yeah get what does that look like so so you're not happy in your work what do you mean exactly mm-hmm. well i what would it look like for you to be happy in your work uh is your goal to be happy in your work is that what what the goal is mm-hmm. if not what is the goal and so then, simple. then, of course, what's so the wise thing is, is a go-to. What's the most valuable use of your time right now? Mm. I mean, I still ask myself that. Uh, that and, and when you first ask it even of yourself, you, you try to trick yourself. Oh, well, what I'm doing right now is most valuable. And usually it's not. You have to ask it three or four times before you, you go, you know what? This, this might not. This is kind of, it's kind of relaxing. <laughs> You know, this is the easier of three things that I could be doing. The hardest of the three that is most uncomfortable is the most value use of my time, and I'm not doing that. And that, I mean, if you get into the habit of doing what's really the most valuable use of your time, that's a huge advantage. I mean, you'll, it's stewardship. Success is about stewardship, and you can't be a good steward if you don't know how your mind works, if you don't know, if you don't have accountability, if you don't have clear goals. Um, if you don't use your strengths. And so people think that success is about other things, but we should be as successful as we're capable of. And what is success? Success is, you know, in in the general sense, it's fully developing your God-given potential, Um, not leaving anything on the table. And the name of the program that we're part of is Achieving Optimal, which is essentially that that description, which has been... 
amazingly helpful in my own my own life. And you you have so many tools uh, at at our disposal that we've learned over time. And um, from the weekly coach to the portable coach to etch memories, um, what have you you know you've seen patterns over, since doing this since 1991? You've probably seen a key tool or two or even just some patterns of success for the audience here that's really just trying to get the most out of life. What are some of the the key concepts or even some of the tools that you use or you found some of your clients use that have been the most impactful? Well one that's easy and obvious is uh, clarity of direction. Being clear on what you're trying to accomplish in in all the aspects of life that are important to you. So but to me, I think that begins with being clear on who you're trying to become as a person, who you believe God wants you to become as a person, um, your mission, your purpose, your legacy like we were talking about. Um, as early in life as you can begin raising those questions, asking those questions of yourself, hanging around other people who are asking those same questions. I mean, most people don't ask those questions. That's why it's like remarkable to know more than one or two people who care about those questions, but so clarity about um, what you're trying to clarity about what you're trying to accomplish as an individual, um, and then if you're married, clarity about what is the purpose of or goal of the relationship, as we talked about at the couples planning retreat. It's important to have a goal for your marriage, a goal for your parenting, um, and then once you have that that goal or that purpose, then you can um, figure out, okay, what is the best way for me to get there? What is my strategy? So, so clarity of direction in anything that you're trying to accomplish. I mean, in essence, I help people be intentional with their life. The next thing that I would say is very powerful is de uh, developing what you know I call the EMSR. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is huge. Uh, your early morning success ritual. Uh, that is so practical, so tactical, uh, so valuable that it's, it's got to be the core three. So getting clear on your goals, of course your purpose, but I mean, you've got to have clear goals. And then, then boom, uh, having an intentional start to your day. It can be 10 minutes, it can be an hour, it can be an hour and a half. A good one is probably 30 or 45 minutes. And during that, that early morning success ritual, you develop and work on yourself spiritually, you develop and work on yourself directionally or mentally, that's reviewing your goals, purpose, mission, uh, that would be reading some nonfiction, uh, doing memorization of things that are important to you. If it's, if you're memorizing Bible verses, which I think is one of the greatest single things that any person can do, then it's not only mental, it's spiritual. Um, and then the third would be physical of some sort. So you've got spiritual, you've got mental or directional, and then you've got physical, which is, if it's not doing your whole workout, it's doing a mini workout, but it's also fueling your body for peak performance. Um, fueling your body as if you were going to battle. Fueling your bottle, your body as if um, this was the day that, that God was going to be watching you perform. You know, what would you, how would you organize your morning knowing that it was all riding on today? Yeah. You know, this was your Olympic event. This was the race that you're running. How would you, what would you do the night before the big race? Yeah. 
what would you do the morning of? And a lot of people are sloppy. Mm-hmm. They mean well. They're wonderful. They have a lot of wonderful qualities, but they're sloppy with their priorities. Yeah, this, uh, you're giving me a visual of my uh, wife, Nancy, is an Ironman triathlete, and the night before any of her big races, she lays out her gear very specifically, like to the inch of yeah. where her bib and her I love it. all of love her it. things. And there's there's no there's no questions on what's going to happen in the morning. It's not scrambling to find things and getting off to a crazy day. It's it's all intentional from the moment she wakes up till the moment that gun fires and she jumps off the dock in the water. Yeah, and, and it, I found that it's more important to do that to the degree that you have resistance in doing that. What do you no, mean? The, in other words, the people that kind of resist doing that, mm. you know, who prefer to wing it, uh, it's even more important for them to make sure that they are prepared. Lay it out. Uh, it'll be even more beneficial for them because a lot of people wake up and wing it. They wake up at the last possible minute and then they maybe are on duty with, with kids or, um, or they've just got to rush to get to the office in time. And so they're not, they're what their sub the subconscious message is um, I'm not in control of the direction of my life or the velocity of my life because they're starting the day off hectic and so that inhibits what they can accomplish the rest of the day it doesn't mean they can't be successful or they can't be productive but there it's a limiting factor and so the the better thing to remember is like uh, you know most y'all have small children mm-hmm you know, <laughs> you, you want a child to have a bedtime routine and then it's helpful to part of that bedtime routine is maybe laying out, depending on their age, laying out their clothes and their book bag and the next that kind of thing. Sure. But the bedtime routine is important for little kids. It's important for us. Yeah. The wake up, being prepared to wake up is important. I mean, kids should have an EMSR. It can be two minutes, but it should be something. They should know that you don't just roll out of bed and walk out the door. You know, that that's a great life habit that can start early. So the three things I would say that are yeah. just very important are you, you got to have clarity of direction. It's that's mainly manifest in having five goals, let's say, for for, um, you know, your spiritual goal, goal as a husband, goal as a father, goal in your health and fitness, and then a goal economically or on the business side or career side. Those are five. There's other areas of life, but if you could just have five, those seem to work pretty well. So once you have those, then you need to get up every day um, and have a pre-life ritual, just like a world-class athlete would have a pre-event ritual. And the third thing is carve out a a chunk of your week, once a week, to debrief and evaluate um, what went well in the last week, what didn't go so well, and what are you gonna change or do better? Need not spend a lot of time doing it, Sometimes I do it on a whiteboard. Sometimes I do it in a document or a tool. Sometimes I have scratched it out, you know, on a napkin. But the important thing is you don't let a week go by without um, asking. Taking inventory. Yeah, taking inventory of whether your current momentum is moving you in the right direction, the wrong direction. And then no matter how great your week is, there's still adjustments and tweaks that you're going to do. And... And I find that's a lot of the clients that I attract is, is they're not satisfied. I mean, they can have a great week and they go, okay, I wonder how I can make this I can still do a nine plus plus. And yeah. then they have a 10. 
well, how can I make it a little bit better? Or how can I get this result but with less time? Yeah. That kind of thing. And that, that is optimizing. And some people, I don't really know how to explain it, but some people are interested in that and some people aren't interested in it. Yeah. I think it's like the accountability thing too. Some people are interested. You can't make somebody, I mean, unless it's an employer type thing or a parent or in the army, you can't make somebody be accountable unless they're willing to be accountable. I love it. There's, there's so much depth we could go into with any of these purpose, mission, clarity, uh, early morning success ritual. I've, I've definitely found all these things extremely helpful and like it's like anything, the more I do it, the better I get at it. Um, my I'm just, I just can't emphasize <laughs> enough though the EMSR. It's just low hanging fruit. The only thing that stops you is unwillingness to do it. And I just want, when you uh, spoke to our group last year, that was one of the things that you really emphasized a lot. And a lot of the, a lot of the people have come back to me and said that was the one thing that really stuck with them as well. Excellent. And uh, just from my own experience, one thing that you shared with me that helped was that it doesn't need to get stale. It doesn't need to be the same thing every day. It can, right. It, it's important that you have a success routine in the morning, but it doesn't always have to be the same routine. Right, you wanna keep it fresh um, so you're looking forward to it. So I find doing one thing different every day, like having a wild card. Mm. Let's say you have five items, five elements of your early morning success ritual. One of them can be different every single day, that kind of thing. Cool. That's easy to do. Or you can change it up monthly and do something different on a monthly basis because it does need to be fresh. But we also can't go too far on the importance of that where we're getting bored with the basics. Yeah. We, we wanna just do it because that's a discipline. You know, do what we, um, do what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, whether we feel like it or not. So to, to this point, um, I, I love when I have it laid out perfectly the way I want it and I'm in a good rhythm. And I find if I travel or if I'm out of my normal patterns, um, if I'm out and about, uh, maybe not staying or I'm at a hotel, it's easy for me to fall out of that routine. What's your advice for people that are on the road or maybe aren't in their home or their normal spot in terms of yeah, taking, well, that, the, taking it with them? It's a great question. You should definitely take your EMSR with you, but, but have a deliberate travel version, okay. one that is modified for the type of travel that you do. Okay. Um, but if you set it up right, it's really something that you look forward to. Something's off. There, if, you're, if you don't look forward to your EMSR, like almost as you're falling asleep, then you haven't got it quite right because it should be a connection with God, it should be uh, sharpening your mind, it should be reviewing your goals. I mean, if your goals are things that you're excited about and want to bring to pass, which they should be if they're your <laughs> goals, then why wouldn't you wanna look at them and contemplate them and remind yourself of them? So to me, the proof is in the pudding. If, if somebody doesn't want to do their EMSR, they've got a sorry EMSR or they're, they're way out of whack in their life. And so if you're way out of whack, I could totally understand how an EMSR would only frustrate you. So if, if you're overweight and your relationships are out of sync and you're not financially where you need to be and you're not really, you know, 
connecting with God, then if you hear that you should get up and have some time with God, you should review your goals and do something physical, it, it can come across like, well, that's the exact last thing <laughs> that I want to do. It's like giving somebody a travel brochure who's in jail. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, that's nice, but um, I'm all locked up, up, here. up here. I yeah. can't do anything. So that's frustrating yeah. to them. But, you know, people have long done quiet times in the morning, but this is beyond quiet time. It can include quiet time, but it's really a pre-life ritual. If you're interested in maximizing your full potential, somewhere between, somewhere after you wake up, preferably before the rest of your household is up, yeah. take time to take care of yourself. That means your mind, body, and spirit before you're asked or obligated to take care of other people, home or business. Yeah. I mean, I've even, even, even young moms I worked with, you know, some, many didn't take the advice, but some did, and those that did said it was revolutionary. Wow. You know, so sleep deprived mom, you know, and she's like rolling her eyes going, How you have, who yeah. are you to be doing this? Right. It's like, well, if, if you can, you don't need to be perfect with it, but get up 15 minutes before you anticipate the kids waking, the up. Kids waking up. I mean, just 15 minutes to not to have to yourself to breathe to enjoy a cup of coffee without having to entertain or discipline or watch over or whatever and then then the 15 minutes 10 <laughs> sure five anything anything yeah. is better than that now that doesn't have to always be that but anything is better than immediately having to be on duty yeah. and i'm not necessarily talking about you know a weekend time where yeah kids come in and jump on the bed and wake you up, that can be fine. I'm talking about just day in, day out, because you know what, what a lot of people complain of, particularly young moms, is, is it's just like all day long. Yeah. I never get a break. I'm on duty the second I wake up. Well. Try to uh, get up a little bit earlier. Just a little bit. Yeah, no, I, see, I absolutely. Uh, you can cut that part out if you need to. <laughs> we, I'm in that stage of life, and it's very easy to. Um, For relational reasons, if you need to cut that part out, you can cut it out. No worries. Well, I think uh, touching on the, the clarity and talking about goals, one of the things that we talked about today that um, I think it'd be interesting for you to elaborate on is one thing you, one of the first coaching calls we had, you mentioned about talking about my goals as if they've already been accomplished. Yes. And we've done, we did some visualization today and looking back on, as, already, as it already happened. And I remember that in Success is Not an Accident, you had me, well, one of the exercises was to write the goals in present tense looking back over over yeah, time yeah and I've I found that extremely powerful but I wanted you to maybe elaborate on how you came about that and uh, just maybe well, some of the science behind it the, the the my understanding and experience is that the sub we, ha, we have kind of two minds operating at once we have the conscious mind and we have the subconscious mind the subconscious mind uh, is never sleeps and is often referred to like biblically for example is like our heart okay so when you think of you know as a man thinketh in his heart so is he so what does that mean as a man thinketh deep in the depths of who he really is in other words what are the embedded thoughts that's who he really is he's he's not who he says he is he is not who he thinks he is briefly in a fleeting temporary way he is who he really is by the nature of his character so when you 
And so then metaphorically, a picture is uh, a basketball is your subconscious and a golf ball is your conscious mind. So the only way that good stuff gets into the basketball, into the subconscious, where it really impacts you in a profound, permanent way, is through the golf ball. In other words, it's, the golf ball is the gatekeeper. The golf ball, the conscious mind, um, is in charge of what gets into your subconscious. I mean, after you're a grown-up. I mean, we don't have 100% control. So when we're a child, we have to hear things and experience things that were not our complete choice. And then as you get older, you have more and more control. But nothing gets into, nothing comes out of our heart except that which we first put there. Garbage in, garbage out. But the G-I-G-O also means good in, good out. So we want to be very picky about what we let in because you can't get it out. I mean, that's worth repeating. Once junk images, words, conversations, actions have been absorbed into your subconscious, they're there permanently. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is we can outnumber them. Using like Philippians 4.8, we can um, disproportionately, if we think of the, the bad images, thoughts, ex expressions, et cetera, that, are, that have accumulated in our basketball, um, we can outnumber them by realizing the damage, which everybody has, and um, put more good in. So it's kind of like if somebody's dehydrated, they need more water than somebody who's not dehydrated. And so somebody who is, whose heart is dehydrated needs to have even more good stuff put in. But it would just be make sense that you would want to pour a lot of good in. So to continue with the golf ball and the basketball, the golf ball is the conscious mind. So when, when you pray, you're praying consciously. But that's the absolute best way to impact your subconscious is through prayer. Um, it, because as you're praying consciously, that prayer and that connection with God is, is getting pulled into your subconscious mind where the only real way to change at the core is through prayer. And it doesn't have to be always the traditional prayer that we think of, but I believe that once you pray, your future is somehow different. Now, I can't totally prove it, but to me, prayer either works or it doesn't work. Now, that doesn't mean I always get what I pray for or that that's good for me. I'm not meaning that. I'm meaning that I think prayer is effective. So maybe I'm on a scale of one million. And so when I pray, I'm one fraction closer to being better or having a better character or being more Christ-like because of that prayer. I don't think I pray and it's completely useless. However, something that I think interrupts prayer is praying for something and then behaving, acting, engaging in things that, are, that countermand that. How do you combine your goals that you're seeing yourself accomplish as well as prayer? Talk about the intersection between those two. Well, let me come back to that because I'm kind of building to it. Okay. Hopefully not taking too long. Beat you to it. But the, so what do we do with 
the golf ball is we want to be clear on what's done is done, but from this point forward, we want to be very particular. So we use Philippians 4.8 as our filter. Is it lovely? Is it pure? Is it true? Is it gracious? Is it noble? Is it brilliant? Is it commendable? Depending on which translation you're looking into. Those are the things we want to dwell on. Why? Why does it say meditate, think upon, dwell upon, fix your mind upon? Because whatever you hold in your conscious mind, that's how it gets into the basketball. So whatever you hold, repeat, uh, meditate upon, nurture with your golf ball seeps into the basketball where then it affects you permanently. So of course, think of the bad stuff. You know, you repeatedly revisit the bad stuff, it seeps in. You repeatedly visit the good stuff, you surround yourself with people that sharpen you and challenge you and feed you good thoughts, um, that seeps in as well. So what, what, whatever you hold in your conscious mind long enough, and even more so with feeling, you know, like a, a real outburst of emotion, positive or negative, you know, it's a two-edged sword. So principles work, the good stuff gets in, the bad stuff gets in. So a really emotional, positive experience really gets in. Prayer gets in. I mean, the best absolute thing to impact your subconscious is prayer. And so goals, what do goals and prayers have in common? Goals and prayers are very similar to one another. I mean, I think that before you set goals, you should pray. You know, pray and ask for guidance and understanding in the establishment of your goals. Uh, ask God to reveal his desires uh, for you um, and his plan for you through uh, the things that you want to accomplish. Um, but when you think about prayer, prayer is a kind of a form of goals. And if you're a believer, then goal setting is a form of prayer. I mean, you're, if, no, who, who, who prays for something that they don't want to have happen? So in a sense, what you pray for are, are goals. So I think goals should be uh, preceded with prayer and then they should be prayed upon and looked very much, I mean, they're, if you've set the right goals, it's a very spiritual thing. I mean, you're again, to me, I don't like separating, well, this is my business life. I like thinking, well, you know what? I'm, I'm using my God-given talents. I'm serving other people. I'm acting as a provider for my wife and kids. I'm creating jobs and opportunity for people. I mean, that is a holy and righteous thing. Right. And um, that's why I'm passionate about being an advocate for um, for business owners, yeah. you know, and people that are that are really making a difference. I mean, they're, they're people that I know in business and people, I mean, I just know a lot of people in business and they're just so focused on serving others. And I mean, even, even in businesses that are not Christian businesses, I mean, I've seen grown men just crying when they had to, you know, let go of people, sure. yeah. you know, because they felt a responsibility and obligation to take care of their employees as people. And, and that's not presented in our culture. It's presented as like, these are the bad guys or yeah. the rich guys that are screwing everybody over. Yeah. 
and it's it's serving others. Profit is is um, is uh, are God's resources that can be reinvested to do more good things, and and I I want to get that message out. And I think it goes perfectly with one of your. Uh, taglines or slogans that your success blesses others yeah and yeah. that is a very powerful statement and i think it yeah i think that's my life message you know more than anything is your success blesses others i, I want people to understand that you you don't succeed without causing a ripple effect um, and sometimes that's spiritual and I mean, and sometimes it's not overtly spiritual, but it's it's valuable, you know. With a, you think of a business owner with just a handful of employees. Mm -hmm. Well, be, because a job was created, this person now has income to buy a house, and and then maybe they that employee improves, and so they're able to buy a nicer house. And so, who benefits? The real estate agent benefits. The the employee benefits, probably the spouse benefits, the children benefit. City. The city benefits. The previous owner who sold the house, they just, you know, it's funny, they want to get out of it and somebody else wants to get into it. Um, and then think about, well, now they need to have a landscaper. So then, <laughs> then, then the landscaper gets some more business, and because he gets more business, he's able to take his wife on a, a delayed honeymoon and then then while they're there in Hawaii on the delayed honeymoon, um, they're feeling so blessed that they <laughs> tip well. And so the, the bus boy in Honolulu is able to get, you know, surfboard. Uh, a surfboard and, and just continues. I mean, there's not a whiteboard long enough to, you know, to articulate the, the cascading success is what I call it. Yeah. The cascading success. For me, it's a great sense of responsibility and stewardship, thinking of it that way. Yes, and yeah. I mean, it's a real responsibility. It's for me, it's motivating to think, uh, not just motivated by growing a business, but the, the success and the blessing that it can have. On That's why I've got, a, I've got a weird kind of hang-up, which I'll <laughs> confess, which is I just don't like the phrase, give back. Hmm. I know it means, well, I'm, I love the phrase, give, but I think it just plays into a wrong narrative give back what does that imply like to me when I, when I took something from my sister when I was growing up my mom or dad would say give it back why why did they say give it back because I took it mm. and that's why I don't like it I just think we should give we should be we should give because we're grateful um, but the give back and I see so many people using it and I think it just creates this narrative that you've been taking 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 and now that you're successful and you're rich and you you you're you're now you've made it now you'll give back to sure. these people that maybe you've walked upon or 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 manipulated took, to, to get into the big house and, and it's completely different it's you we should give because out of the generosity of our heart it, it makes us joyful i mean biblically as i understand it giving is not for the recipient oddly enough it's one of those odd things in the bible giving is for who it's it's for the giver. Mm. It, it, it creates joy. It impacts the heart to of give. the giver. And so when you when you suffocate that impulse to give, um, maybe you say, "Hey, the government's going to give in lieu of us." Um, then then it's impersonal. And, and so nothing gives somebody more joy than to be able to help somebody or give. Um, 
back. So I told you it was weird, but I know people normally mean well with it, but I just think we need to be givers. Um, give backers implies the taking. Yeah. And I think actually entrepreneurs um, are planters. They're nurturers. Um, and they should be proud of that and uh, pleased with it and grateful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love the, uh, I love the mindset. So switching gears to just some of, some more about you and some of your life's ups and downs. I think it's, it's always interesting to know real stories. Um, and one of the things you can gleam on is biggest failures or successes. So when you look back over, you can go back to whenever, when you stole stuff from your sister yeah. or uh, throwing baseballs. or It was just a hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> what, does anything stand out to you as a, as a key failure or learning moment where this is a really impactful moment in your life? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, on the surface, I think that'd be hard. I'm so programmed <laughs> with Philippians 4.8, you know, to focus on the wins and mm -hmm. what's working. But clearly for me, um, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of others or my wife could give additional ones. But for me, it was baseball. I mean, I, I was, I ate, slept, dreamt baseball. Mm -hmm. um, I loved it. Um, I, I still love what it did for me. Um, in that it gave me a goal that that um, modified choices, you know, growing up. It, it's like, um, I, I have this goal, I want to play Major League Baseball, so therefore these other activities that I probably shouldn't be doing, it's not like I avoided them because I was morally superior. <laughs> it was more like, well, if you can show me that um, drinking and smoking uh, helps me, you know, hit better. Uh, I might be game, you know, but otherwise it's not for me. So it gave me what I now teach, which is it gave me a clear purpose. And so then that is how I learned um, that everything you do, once you have a goal, everything you do either moves you toward the goal or away from the goal. Once your, your goal established is to get lean, then everything you do is either moves you toward getting lean or moves you away. Once you decide I'm going to be wealthy and you decide what that amount is for you, then everything you do moves you toward that. You know, what time you wake up, how good you get at your craft, uh, whether you follow principles of saving and tithing, all of those things, it either moves you toward or away. And that toward and away mindset is, is pretty powerful. Absolutely agree. What, um, so baseball was, baseball I would easily say is, you know, it all came crashing down somewhere between age 20 and 21. And I mean, I worked hard, but that mm -hmm. also tells me it's not about hard work, it's, it's results. I mean, it's, it's cruel, but, um, but at some point I actually, I, so I learned that was the foundation for what is now a 27 year career. And I also learned that I learned a lot about failure. You know, baseball in and of itself is a awesome sport in that, at least on the offensive side, um, you fail, you know, 60 or 70% of the time and you're considered exceptional. Yeah. Um, if you fail, you know, 70% of the time or 65% of the time in the major leagues, you're going to the Hall of Fame. It's, it's just amazing. So I also love the one-on-one -on -one aspect of baseball. Um, you can't hide pitcher, catcher. You can't blame it on a blocker mm -hmm. or a bad pass. Um, 
but then there's all you win as a team. You don't, you don't, your name's not up there, but you win as a team. So, I mean, I really put all my eggs in that basket. I, I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. I wouldn't do it again. However, it, I think God used it for me. Yeah. He used it in me. I mean, that was a great North star boom, you know, and I played with people who ended up in the, in the major leagues. And I thought, Golly, I could, I could do that. Yeah. So, so I used that failure to start a business and there was some time I was probably 30 and I said, you know what? If you could put me in the major leagues right now or I could keep doing what I'm doing, I think I'd stay doing what I'm doing. Take the major league paycheck. Isn't that amazing? Do, do what I'm doing. <laughs> Just because I, I kind of saw more of it. Sure. And I thought, you know what? This is what I'm me. meant to do. Yeah. This is this is me. That is what I thought. That was, you know, and maybe I could have played, maybe I couldn't. If I knew now, if I knew then what I know now about mindset, you know, um, maybe I could have. Well, it's interesting. That's how we started off. And I asked you about how you got into it and came back yeah. to baseball. So it's it's gone all the way around. And now I love lacrosse. It's kind of fun. Yeah. The, My the boys, boys all play lacrosse. And I love that game. Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty amazing. What about uh, when you look back, what's some of the things that you're most proud of, the biggest success moments, the 4-8 the moments? Um, well, I think I'm, I'm proud of uh, finding my wife. <laughs> um, I guess we... You know some of that story, and you know, so that's huge. Um, I think one of the greatest moments for me, like actual, like uh, m you know, single event moments, is you know, standing up there at the altar, yeah, and the 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 All people are in the pews, and the back door is open. That's like you can it just gives me chill bumps just thinking about just it today. It, yeah. um, that was like powerful moment. Um, you know, the kids are awesome, but I don't so much think of that as my accomplishment. But, um, you know, I, I, I love having that influence on them um, and seeing who they become. So I've got, you know, two that are in college, almost out of college, and then one that's in middle school. But business-wise, um, I had a cool goal, which, with the 4-8 principle, which was a deliberate, premeditated goal to hit the New York Times bestseller list. And I thought that would be good for business. Thought it'd be good for my career. Success is not an accident. I had sold a lot of copies of that book, uh, just word of mouth and through my relationships. And that had caught the eye of a publisher, uh, Tyndale House Publishers, a great Christian publisher in Chicago. And um, so they liked my idea for the 4-8 principle and said, you know what, we like to buy success is not an accident from you and have you expand it and re-release it and then so I did the manuscript and it was about it was only about three months from publication date in September of uh, 2007 and I say you know what I want to try to hit the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. so I brought some clients into my office and I bought them lunch and I said I want I want to hit this list, and I've done a little bit of homework. And they said, well, how, "What does it take to hit the list?" And I said, "We got to, <laughs> got to sell about at least ten thousand copies in a month." Wow. And and I, they said, "So uh, is that is that your goal?" I said, "Yeah, that's my goal." And they said, "Well, if you've got to sell at least ten thousand, why is that your goal?" 
I said, I don't like this coaching stuff. <laughs> What's your goal? <laughs> yeah, so the long story short is they upped my goal in that lunch conversation in uh, early July of 2007 to 25000 So, um, So I left there with a goal um, by uh, 9.30, 2007, I have sold 25,000 copies of the 4-8 principle. I didn't know how to do it. I had no idea how to do it. That's why I'm so passionate about making sure you don't set goals only based upon whether you know how to do it or not. So that was a written goal. There was a group of five or six people. One guy said, look, I'll be like your chairperson. Like a, it's like a fundraiser or something. I'll, I'll be the point person. I'll round up some other people. We can have a network. And so then I did my homework and I got some help and all that. But um, when the numbers came out and we were in the New York Times two weeks in a row in October of uh, 07, well, in, in January, uh, I mean, in, um, in September, we sold 31,000 copies. Wow. Just in September. Just in September. Just in September. And um, so it continues to sell, but the, you know, in in retrospect, it's actually it's, it's a lot harder to do that. I mean, it, it, than to play major league baseball. It's kind of silly, <laughs> but it's not harder in in the physical, physical. sense. But there's fewer spots. <laughs> so in in a joking way, you know, there's fewer spots for the books than there are for for major league roster spots. Yeah. Um, and it's very difficult, it's even harder now. But we learned kind of you know, what it takes and we pulled out every single stop and then we're still thought it was like a Hail Mary into the end zone and um, we ended up catching some media coverage and uh, all client, I had clients for 15 years at that point and I never asked them for anything and they were the most wonderful clients ever. I said, could you help me reach this goal? Hmm. And they went out to their networks and said, my coach, I've been working with him for all these years. Will you help me help him reach one of his goals? Uh -huh. So it was like this Just viral before viral was something that people said. And so you have to, back then you had to concentrate all your book sales into a short period of time. So basically we set up a nationwide system where when the go button was pressed, people all over the country were buying the book at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, Amazon, all at once, and we just kind of overwhelmed the system. And despite it being a Christian book, um, we surprised the New York Times and oh. got right up there. Yeah, 4-8 <laughs> army out there. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was an army, and it was relationships. And it was, you know, they were, they were helping me, and I had helped them, and it was, it was amazing. But that's probably... You know, other than starting the business or still being in business, that was probably the single achievement because it was a goal that was bigger than I thought I could reach. And then I was challenged by my own clients to well, think I big. I love that piece of it. I mean, that's what ISI is all about, is that iron sharpening iron. Coming yeah. into that meeting and saying, I have a goal to set 10,000, they say, ah, why don't you think again? Yeah, what, they just turned they just turned the tide on me. Just and upped your game. They did exactly what I would have done if they <laughs> had done the same thing. Yeah, I love it. It's Which is an important principle is you you want to shoot for something far more than you're you're really wanting because if yeah. Well, I, you you touched on it. Just they, it was a goal. You didn't know how you were going to do it. You didn't set a did goal not. that you were comfortable with. It was a 
I have no idea how that works, but let's mobilize. But I learned. I mean, I made phone calls. So, so there's another thing I like to say is your, your talents, your relationships, your resources rise to meet the level of goal that you set for yourself. So with a goal of, of, of making the New York Times bestseller list, um, that raised my game a little bit, just the goal itself. So then when it went from 10,000 to 25,000, that raised it even more. And that's what I needed mm. because 10,000, first of all, wouldn't have been a sure thing. Not that anything's a sure thing, but I wouldn't have had to call some people that I called. Like I had to call random people and try to get meetings with people and talk to people in New York. How does this work? And does anybody know, is this all random? And what I found was very few books accidentally pop up on the New York Times. There's almost all behind the scenes campaigns that are run. They're hustling. Even novels, you know, uh, fiction is done like that. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. every so often something will come out and it overwhelms the system. But generally speaking, it's a deliberate campaign. People figure out how the New York Times counts and what stores are included in their random sampling and all this kind of stuff. What you're saying is that it's not an accident. It's not an accident. Success <laughs> is not an accident. <laughs> all the books coming out of Atlanta, for example, would have disqualified you. Hmm. Once you have that intel, you know, hey, hmm. we have to, to find buyers. So a lot of people say, I sold books. No, I sold books. I mean, in other words, most of it, when you talk about the book world or writing, it's it's selling and it's kind of indirect or it's passive. No, I sold it like I just sold them 300 a pop. Like I would call you up if I was doing this now and I'd say, hey, would you be in for 300? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, no. Well, I said, well, think how you could share these with all sorts of relationships. You could donate them. And so most people publish a book. It gets in the bookstores or Amazon now and they hope people will find it or buy it or not be overwhelmed. And I thought, that's not a good plan. I'm going to actually sell them just like I sell my coaching services or somebody might sell equipment. Yeah. I'm going to call somebody and say, not would you buy one? That doesn't help the program. I remember I got a random copy on my desk. A guy had bought a dozen or maybe two dozen, the local FCA, FCA director, and he was giving them out like candy. He, bought, he must have bought. Well, one of, one of the Chick-fil-A guys reminded me that um, we had great Chick-fil-A relationships and they were phenomenal. I could not have done it without Chick-fil-A. Hmm. Um, we created these little cards that said, uh, eat more chicken, have more joy. <laughs> it was red and white with all no the, the right colors and it had a picture of the 4A principle on it. And as the um, to-go orders were prepared, Boom. They, they'd stick this postcard in there said, you know, available at Amazon.com or available at fine bookstores everywhere. Wow. And they would stuff them in to-go orders. We didn't have every Chick-fil-A doing it, but we had a yeah. lot of them all over the country. And and so people would get their order and they'd be getting their waffle fries and their chicken biscuits and they'd see this and I don't know whether it helped or not. Check but it, it out. Was, yeah, it was one more thing. Powerful And partner. it was a nice endorsement, you yeah, know, as well. Absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I did not know that whole story. That's really awesome. All right. So just uh, more, not rapid fire, but just uh, I think people that are successful want to know the traits of others that are successful. And just curious, some tools, some things that, you know, you talk a lot about hacks here, coaches hacks. And today you talked about red light and 
uh, inference, all kinds of things over, over the last couple workshops. But what are some things or tools in your daily life right now that you couldn't live without? I, I could not live without what, what I will say is bulletproof coffee, <laughs> which I'll attribute to uh, Dave Asprey, um, who kind of coined that phrase and has a great innovative company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is where you put grass-fed butter and MCT oil and into organic, clean coffee and shake it up or blend it up and drink it. You can also add collagen protein because it's not affected by heat. So you can dump it in your coffee, shake it up or blend it, and it's just phenomenal. So that would be tough to live without that. This is a daily thing you make? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I will. I have not in four years. I have not spoken or delivered a workshop without preceding it with bulletproof coffee or some variation. Pretty strong. So prior to that, I would always have a energy shake that would have uh, whey isolate protein in it and maybe a little bit of fruit made with almond milk or something like that, um, and some good fat in it. But then that's good. That's good. But mentally. I've just found there's no comparison. Um, like I don't drink a lot of caffeine. I have a diluted, I drink one third caffeine. Okay. Cause I like drinking coffee, but I, I make it with great organic coffee at home. And, but I do it one third caffeinated so that if I were to drink six cups, I'm really only drinking two cups sure. of, of caffeinated coffee. So on workshop day though, I full octane. Gotcha. And so when you add that with the good fats, um, it's amazing. Um, supplements, I, I, you know, there's debate of whether supplements work. I believe they work. I mean, I, everybody in my family uh, takes them. Um, I, I highly recommend them. Um, so I couldn't live without supplements. Um, On that, is there any? Uh, have you found a quick way to know what supplements? I know everybody's a different. And yeah, they're all they're all different. So I'll I'll uh, plug one company that sure. I love. It's called Life Extension, um, and and they've been around forever. And I was originally introduced to them in the '90s, but they've got world class products, and um, that's what I feed my family. Awesome. There's a few others. Jero seems to be a great company, okay. um, but they're those are exceptional ones. And I mean, I I'm on. I, I get as many as I can, um, but particularly essential fats, I'm partial to that. Uh, alpha lipoic acid, which helps uh, balance your, keep your blood sugar balanced, lots of vitamin C, vitamin D, um, and then magnesium. Those are my go-to ones, but I, I have more than anybody would want to know. And I don't know, but I don't think they're doing any harm, so I just don't want to be passive. Um, so, and I also have an MD that I go to who's very traditional, and then I have a naturopath that y'all have maybe interacted with uh, at some of the sessions. And so I like being the CEO of my health, which means I don't just listen to what somebody tells me. I take in their perspective, medical, traditional, that's great. I'd hate to be without them. And then I take in a maybe more alternative, holistic naturopath. And then I'm the CEO. You're doing your own research. So now I'm doing it. You know, and I get I do my own blood work. I, I think there's you know you got to be in charge of your blood work, your body fat, and your blood pressure. Those the three things I like packaging things. So those yeah. are the three B's: blood work, body fat, and um, pressure. Blood pressure. Those three things. If those are good and clean, that's pre- you're pretty darn good. I mean, if you're lean, your blood pressure is in good order. 
and your blood work has no red flags, that's good. But most people delegate that or don't do it at all. Yeah. I recently did a, uh, one of those body scans where they test your body fat, and it's a good, uh, good motivator. Yeah, and it's great benchmark. So, yeah. you know, if somebody's in their 30s or 40s, they can do it. And then as they age, they can see, you know, or, or am I deteriorating? Because they don't have to. They don't have to. I appreciate that. So, um, and I know you've talked a lot about 4-8, but I'm curious if you have a, a life verse for you and or your family. Well, it probably is um, 4-8. Uh, that's, that's the easy one. Um, I love Philippians just in general. There's just so much, you know, be joyful always. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, but my favorite is probably Philippians 4-8. My grandmother originally shared it with me when I was 14 and gave it to me on a card, which I then carried with me through college and then when I started coaching, I had it with me, and it just finally occurred to me um, the power of that verse that there was, it was concentrated. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I was probably 25 or six or seven, somewhere in there, and I said, I'm gonna write a book on this someday. <laughs> and I mean, it was a decade or so later, but I would, in fact, it was a little bit inspired by the prayer of Jabez in that that was one verse that became a book. And I was, I was intrigued, how could you go that deep, a whole book just on one yeah, verse? Right. And, I, and so then I challenged myself, how could I do that? Because I, I thought that was a big relational problem. So if life is about relationships and we're naturally prone to focus on what's missing, deficient, and undesirable, then we need to correct that. We need to be aware of it. We need to counteract it. How do you counteract it? Well, Paul already told us. He said, focus on what's lovely, pure, true, gracious, and just, which then tells me that we weren't made to be automatically positive. Uh, that verse would be unnecessary. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're not hopelessly negative either because that verse would be in vain. So that obviously means we have free will. And, and also it tells me that, that thinking the right thoughts leads to joy. And if I were God, scary thought, but I would, I, would, I would think that he might have created us for joy so that we would, others who don't know him would see our joy and be attracted to the kingdom. Because there are a lot of believers out there who are unattractive, I think, to, and that's a shame. They don't have joy. And um, they may have their faith, they may have their salvation, but, but they're just having, have a caustic thought life and, and they don't realize the, the effect that has on relationships. I love it, we can thank uh, your grandma for uh, 31,000 plus copies that were sold. That, that's right. Well, it's a lot Thanks, more grandma. since, since then. It's a lot more since then, but I, I think I mentioned her in, in, in both of the books. Amazing. The first two, there's one for teenagers, um, which is awesome too to hit people in probably eighth through tenth. But um, yeah, she she got me onto it. She she was very much my maternal grandmother was very much instrumental in my faith and exposing me um, to right thinking and um, positive mental nutrition. Um, so I'm grateful for oh, that. What was her name? 
Lily. Lily. L Lillian Mason. Oh, I love it. So my middle son is named Mason. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you to her for uh, that verse. And, I mean, really, it's part of the reason why we're all here today. And, you know, you growing your business. And um, it's just been... It's been a blessing in my life reading the different books and engaging with you, and I feel like I'm just now really even getting going on the journey of all things Tommy Newberry and all the all the things that you have. So I want to just thank you for the lift that you give to not only me but everybody else. Um, even in the workshop today, you can just feel everybody that came in. It's like um, the clouds kind of cleared up a little bit, even though it's a rainy day here in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> you got a, a glimpse of four eight mindset of you know fo focusing Excellent. on what's love and pure and joyful and. Uh, so thank you for well, I love to do it. Creating, You're very welcome. Creating very what welcome. you did. Thank you for saying that. Well, one of the things we want to do is just offer each of our guests a chance to pray for the ISI community. And all of us are trying to lead our best life with, with Christ at the center. And so if you wouldn't mind uh, closing us in a, in a word of prayer, it would be great. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for uh, all the blessings that you have put in front of us. Uh, thank you for giving us the the senses to experience and detect those blessings. Thank you for the, the past, the present, and the future, and for how you use all of those things to uh, fulfill your perfect will. Thank you for being outside of time and space uh, in a ways that we can't even imagine so that somebody uh, listening to this years down the road can uh, can can feel your presence, that you would bless all of us with faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage, patience, and boundless energy so that we can become everything that you created us to become. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, thank you very much. For, for those of us who want to keep up with you, what's the best way for the audience to, to stay in touch? Best way would be TommyNewberry.com. TommyNewberry.com. T-O-M-M-Y-N-E-W-B-E-R-R-Y.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Tommy at TommyNewberry.com is my email. All right. Just go to the website. Okay, awesome. We will uh, develop some show notes with all the links to different books and tools and things that you mentioned here. So thank you again, and uh, just a been a joy being here with you today. Same. Thank you for having me. All right.